Welcome to HII Talking Points, a Huntington Ingalls Industries podcast. Twice a quarter, we'll sit down with HII leaders to discuss topics of interest in our company and industry. With a new year and new work in HII's future, 2019 is already demonstrating it'll be a busy time for HII. My name is Phoebe Richards, and on this episode of Talking Points, I'm talking with HII President and CEO Mike Petters about company operations in 2019. Mr. Petters, as always, thank you for joining me. Well, thanks, Phoebe, for having me again. Of course. So we just reported revenues for 2018. We signed a contract with the Navy for a multi-ship buy of two aircraft carriers, and we're about to close on another acquisition in technical solutions. I think it's safe to say we're off to a pretty busy start. Yeah, we kind of woke up on New Year's Day and put our track shoes on and went right to work. And so we're running been, fast. We're running fast, yeah. So, with all that in mind, I'd like to talk about some of your thoughts about the year ahead. So, as I mentioned in the lead in, HI uh, was recently awarded a contract for a two ship carrier buy. What is the significance of this contract? Wow. Um, I mean, it, you, people will look at it in terms of the size of the contract or the the time, you know, the second ship delivers in 2032 or something like that. But I, I think there, these things don't just fall out of the sky and happen. I think that uh, they show a, a whole lot of health in, um, first of all, the things that we're doing. We're executing well. Uh, we're creating uh, and continue to invest in uh, a, a probably industry-leading partnership with, uh, with our Navy customer. Uh, you know, they are approaching us to find out if there are ways that have we thought of ways that we can help them solve their problems. And one of their problems is that uh, how do we reduce the cost of ships? Uh, you know, we propose that uh, that the Navy could save money on ships by buying them smarter. And to their credit, the Navy listened and then said, let's go talk about that. And uh, I think it's a tribute to the Navy leadership for picking it up. I think it's a tribute to the Pentagon, who uh, not only has said that they want to do things differently and better and more efficiently, but they're actually acting on that. I think that it's a tribute to the, the members of Congress who said, uh, if there is something there, we're going to support it. Um, and I think it's a tribute to the executive branch for going forward with it and bringing it home. Now, what does it mean for us? Yes, it's a big contract. It's for two big ships that will take us until 2032 to um, deliver the second ship. Uh, it is an opportunity to go to our supply chain and uh, hit them with, uh, uh, you know, with a, not just a, a prediction of work, but actually orders. So that the supply chain, which is pretty thin, it's been a lot of talked about, about the weakness in the supply chain. Um, that there's an opportunity now for our suppliers to invest in their business and invest in their future, which consequently invests in our future. And so I think that's a very powerful part of what happens here. But it also becomes a foundation for us to build off of uh, and make our relationship with our Navy customer even better, to allow us to continue to improve the processes that we use in our business to be better. Um, and, uh, and to support the country's security. And I think that that's, you know, across the board, uh, I think there's, uh, you know, a lot of great stakeholders in this, uh, a lot of positive benefits that come from it. Uh, and I would just add that uh, if it makes sense for us to be buying two carriers at a time, 
it probably makes sense for us to be buying two large deck amphibs at a time. How does multi-ship procurement help taxpayers? Well, it, it creates predictability in the business for, for us when we go to hire and for us and for our suppliers when we go to buy our material. Uh, that's, that predictability then becomes something that allows us to be more efficient. If you don't have that predictability, you become inefficient. Inefficiency is another way for saying things cost more. And so from the standpoint of just out and out, what does it cost? The cost will go up if you're, if you're not predictable. Uh, and so the taxpayers in the end, they're just going to continue to get more, um, more value for their investment if we can be more predictable. You touched upon this a little earlier, but looking across the business, do you believe there are future opportunities for this acquisition approach in other ship programs? Yeah, well, we're you know this is actually being used in in many of our programs already. We, you know, we in our destroyer programs and in our submarine programs, uh, multi-year procurement of multiple ships has been the norm for quite a while, and so you could always point to those as. Uh, this is this is uh, exhibit A and B for why you want to go do this. Uh, getting people to get their heads around doing some kind of multi-ship procurement for something as big as an aircraft carrier uh, expands the envelope to now say there's probably nothing in the portfolio that's too big to do multi-ship procurement for. So whether it's a large deck amphib or the you know flight two LPDs. Uh, it, it, we've, we are now going to demonstrate that multi, multi-ship, multi-year procurement um, is, an, is an efficient, if not the efficient, buying strategy for Navy shipbuilding. So last December, HII acquired G2 Inc., and now we're in the process of bringing on Fulcrum as part of Technical Solutions as well. How do these companies strengthen HII, and do you see additional growth uh, opportunities in Technical Solutions? Our roots of, as we spun out of Northrop Grumman, on the, on, you know, on the day before the spin, we were called Northrop Grumman Shipbuilding. And on the, on the day that we spun out, we became Huntington Ingalls Industries. And, and I think that people kind of still pigeonhole us into uh, the shipbuilding place. And it's a great place for us to be. And we have a relationship with our customer in shipbuilding that, as I said, where it's an industry-leading relationship. Um, you know, we, we, I, we can see their problems. We can solve their problems. They can call us for advice, and they can call us for help. Uh, that's pretty good DNA. You know, that's a pretty good uh, core of your business, but it's also a pretty good core of how to think about customer relations in general. And so, you know, a couple of years ago, before we acquired Camber, as we were thinking through how much of the stuff do we have in our business that is uh, not exactly shipbuilding? Um, you know, it was on the order of uh, $600 million worth of business. And when we acquired Camber and we put that in with that $600 million worth of business and we put it out as its own division, it was suddenly we have a, almost a billion dollars worth of business. And wow, I mean, that's not a small business. Uh, that's a collection of companies that go to the market in the same, you know, they go to the market in the, in the same way as each other, but they go to the market very differently than they do in shipbuilding. But as an objective, wouldn't it be great if all of those customers in TSD could have the kind of customer relationship that we have in our Navy shipbuilding business? 
And I would tell you that today that if you snap the line from prior to the Camber acquisition to where we are today in technical solutions, we're about twice as big. Wow. And we're, and we're twice as big as we were before we bought Camber. And we're in a place where we're trying to continue to create those great customer relationships. What advice do you have for employees this year and moving forward as we continue to create a culture where transformation and innovation thrive? Well, I think tra- transformation is, a, is something that we've talked a lot about. Uh, it is the idea that uh, if you're doing things tomorrow the way that you're doing them today, you're probably going to get left behind. And so, um, so we have to be comfortable making future plans that are going to assume that things are going to be a little bit different. Uh, it's kind of easy to make a plan if you're going to do, be doing the same thing again six months from now that you're doing now, you just take today's plan and you, and you replicate it. Uh, we're, we're not going to be successful if that's what we do. And so when it comes to transformation, this has to be something bigger than just uh, we're going to go get a new computer or we're going to get artificial intelligence or, or something like that. And it's going to be a gadget that's suddenly going to unlock transformation and we're going to wake up one day and say, okay, we're transformed. Um, uh, the reality is that uh, transformation is a cultural change. And that means that uh, as a leader in the organization, you have to be investing in time t- for yourself and for your team to figure out how do you how do you do what you're doing today better than the other guys? One of the key things that happens in companies that are successful in this place is that they they actually have a, a, a recognition that failure is an asset and they celebrate failure now you know if you if you make a mistake for an ethical lapse or something like that that that's not a that's not worth celebrating but you know i I know of folks who on their resumes in silicon valley uh, they will put down that they were part of projects that failed because when they're applying to another company the, the company that they're, they're trying to go to wants to know what were they part of and, and what failed, why did it fail, and they see all of that as a learning experience. Um, and so, so the, the kind of the motto is uh, fail fast and fail often is a really interesting mindset that's very different than the way we do business here. We, we need to change that. And, you know, I get a lot of questions about risk aversion. And we're a risk-averse culture. Uh, you know, we don't take chances. But I just I just pointed out that technical solutions is twice the size it was three years ago. Um, we didn't do that by not taking risk. You know, we didn't come out of Northrop Grumman by not taking risk. We don't really have a risk-averse decision process. But why? But when people ask me about our risk-averse culture, I ask them, uh, when was the last time that you actually celebrated someone's failure, that they tried something, that they tried something new and it didn't go quite the way they thought it would. You know, when, did, when was the last time we did that? And I think that that's going to become part of how we have to think through transformation. Uh, the other part of transformation is all about collaboration. I think Scott Stabler has talked about this at great length and there's gonna be a lot more to talk about there. Um, you know, are you collaborating with the other folks in your value stream? Are you collaborating with your counterparts in the rest of the division? 
So looking ahead, transformation is clearly one, but do you have um, areas of focus that we should emphasize this year? Yeah, sure. I, I, um, I go through this with the board of directors every year, and and uh, this year's no different, and I've identified uh, four areas that we're going to um, focus on. Uh, first of all is execution. Nothing that we've talked about happens if we're not executing in our business. Uh, and so uh, a renewed emphasis, we, you know, in some ways we kind of feel like we're executing really well. Why is, why is Mike talking about execution? Well, that's when you start to mess up is when you start to take it for granted. You cannot take execution for granted. Um, second area is that uh, we're going to work through at the corporate level our strategy. You know, kind of go to the we we told the street in in 2011 that we'll where it's going to take us until 2015 to work through some contracts. In 2015, we told this we told Wall Street that uh, here's our path to 2020. We're going to invest a lot of capital in shipbuilding. We're going to return uh, substantially all of our free cash to our shareholders, and um, and we're going to use our balance sheet to um, to grow our services business. We're coming up on 2020. It's time for us to go back out and talk about what's going to happen over the next five or 10 years. Uh, and so this year, we're going to be working through uh, what exactly is that. Um, the third area is about engagement. And, you know, I continue to believe that for all the work that we do, all the acquisitions that we do, all the technology that we invest in, I still think that for this company, the greatest opportunity to create value is for our workforce to be more engaged. And that means to empower the people that are not empowered. Uh, that's a that's a um, understand how you get folks to really own the work that they have. Uh, how do you get how do you get those unempowered people to be confidently contributing to what we do? And yes, diversity and inclusion is a huge part of that. Um, I've asked the senior leaders of the company to think about the bubble that they live in, and to think about what are they doing to proactively expand their lens or expand their bubbles so they can come to understand why someone would not be empowered. Um, to the extent that we're successful with that, uh, we'll create more engagement. And we, we have the data now, not just from thousands of other companies, we have the data in our own company that says that when teams are engaged, their results get better. We see that across our company. Where teams are engaged, our results get better. And so we're going to keep working on that. And then the fourth area we've already talked about is uh, transformation. And we're going to, you know, a relentless, relentless push and pursuit of transformation. Mr. Petters, thanks for sharing your thoughts. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk today. Well, thanks for letting me t let me do this, Phoebe. And I, and I, uh, I just want to thank everybody that's listening, all the employees that are out there and all the other stakeholders that might be listening to. I just want to thank you for your interest in, in what we're doing and the work and support that you give us uh, every day in making this such a successful operation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to HII Talking Points. This podcast was produced by Huntington Ingalls Industries Corporate Communications Team. We welcome your feedback and ideas for future podcasts at www.huntingtoningles.com slash podcast.